Talk of the Town is a public service program produced by Midwest Family Springfield, airing Sunday morning on 92.7 WMAY, 98.7 WNNS, 97.7 WQLZ, and 102.5 The Lake. The mission of the show is to provide you with new information on the great organizations and great people in the Springfield area who work hard to make things easier for others throughout our community and to make Springfield a better place to live. The intent of this program is to be timely, topical, to entertain, and to inform. Good morning, good morning, good morning. This is, of course, Talk of the Town with your host, Trent Nelson. Such a pleasure to be with you all as we often find ourselves each weekend. And we've got an absolutely wonderful program for you today. This Saturday, we have Jennifer Jewell. She is NPR's own She has her own podcast as well, and she is the author of the book, What We Sow on the Personal and Cultural Significance of Seeds. Really fantastic discussion. We loved having it with her, learning a bit about her world, about the garden world. Of course, we spoke with Marta McDowell not too long ago, and we looked at the garden from a slightly different perspective, but this discussion was really Fascinating, really educational, really wonderful. We enjoyed it so much. And then we had one of the tri-chair persons of the Illinois Poor People's Campaign, and he stopped by to talk about the Illinois Poor People's Campaign event happening in Springfield in just hours' time. He spoke about the origin of the Illinois Poor People's Campaign, about its national nature, uh, what its goals are, and what it's doing in the capital city of Illinois this Saturday. Really thoughtful chat. Uh, We hope that you enjoyed it. We hope that you enjoyed both. So sit back, grab a bit of coffee, some pancakes, a bit of bacon, some okra, because this is Talk of the Town, and this is Trent Nelson. Let's go. Talk of the town here, Trent Nelson, here with you this morning. And we have, well, we have somebody who likes to get dirty. What kind of dirty, you might ask? The traditional ground and soil kind of dirty. We have gardening expert and North State NPR Cultivating Place host, Jennifer Jewell, joining us this morning to chat about gardening, about seeds, about her newest book, What We Sow, on the personal, ecological, and cultural significance of seeds. That was released in September. And if you listen to our programs, then you'll be well aware that there's a good chance we'll get into other topics of discussion that branch off, pun intended, from <laughs> from our first discussion. Jennifer, such a pleasure to have you on this morning. Thank you for joining us. Oh, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation and excited to dig in, as it were. <laughs> Oh, this is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> people are either going to hate listening to this or they're they're going to, uh, well, they're going to find quite the yield of, of puns and uh, of garden-related humor. But before we get into all of the particulars about the soil, we need to know more about you, Jennifer. And of course, what got you into, into horticulture, into agriculture, into gardening, into all of these things that come from, from our earth? 
Well, I am the very, very fortunate human of being in being the second daughter of a professional gardening mother and a wildlife biologist father. And my my two sisters and I were raised at about 8,000 feet on the front range of the Rockies in Colorado, which is not the easiest place to garden in most traditional kind of European models of gardening, but was a beautiful place of native plants. And my mother made a beautiful native plant and habitat garden, although I I wouldn't have referred to it as that in my childhood. It was just her garden. And it was also full of fruits and vegetables. And it wasn't until I was a young adult and looking at entering into my own career, which started off as a writer and editor uh, in the technical field for Microsoft's Encarta Encyclopedia of all places, that I came to understand that not everybody was raised with these particular privileges of knowledge and place that I was. And I really wanted to explore what why that was the case and what that meant to our larger world and how we as gardening humans, no matter where we are or how we came to it, what the word garden even means to us, right? It might be a pot on your windowsill trend. It might be a big community garden plot full of culturally important plants and vegetables and flowers to your background. It might just be your little front garden in suburban America. But Seeing gardeners as really intersectional agents and spaces for change environmentally, culturally, spiritually, and even economically has been my task these last 10 years as a radio host and podcaster. And all of that kind of comes together in my this third book, What We Sow. So that's me. Well, it is remarkably impressive, and we appreciate the work that you have carried on from your folks, especially over the last 10 years, as you noted. It is something to be remarkably proud of, to do things that can positively affect all people. This is perhaps the greatest point that we might have in this life. Now, we'll just jump right into it because it was such a wonderful transition from from your life story to, to your book. What is the significance of, of a seed, Jennifer? Well, my, my first and most comprehensive answer is everything right? Like you look out your window, Trent, wherever you might be, wherever listeners might be right now, look out your window and in all likelihood, any plant that you are seeing in your view shed, whether it's the weeds in the cracks as you drive by something, or it's a field or it's your garden or it's a park, it's a suburban or urban street. Almost any plant there is likely among the seed-bearing plants. And so not only do they dominate the planet, they comprise about 80% of plant life on the planet, these seed-bearing plants. They also make up the vast majority of either what we eat or what we eat eats. And, And that's amazing. But they are also really important in medicine and in beauty and in environmental health of our air, our soil, and our water. So for me, you know, especially when you even drill down into the wood of our houses or the cotton on our clothing, in our clothing, these all come back to the importance of one seed-bearing plant being able to reproduce and provide this abundance for us. (laughs) So it's everything. What an answer, but there is evidence of the value of that answer, Jennifer Jewell. We appreciate the honesty there. And what we sow does not only appraise the personal, the ecological, but the cultural. And the cultural seems to be a wonderfully 
broad brush in this instance because as you're writing notes, culture extends into our economic perspective as well, correct? And so there is money to be made in seeds and in certain catchwords, right? Such as perhaps organic. Yeah. Now, if we could talk a bit about how, as it's termed, agribusiness functions with these with these words like organic, with food supplies such as corn and soy. And, well, let's talk more about seeds as well. Right. It's so true. And so, like, that word, that phrase, the cultural significance of seeds, really is, for me, an exploration of the many different expressions of it. And that really is sort of the tension, I would say, at the heart of what I spent two or three years researching and some way my whole life being a student of these plants and the seeds that produce them is this worldview on the one hand, where at this point in the the economic sector of seeds, there are four large international petrochemical pharmaceutical companies, Bear Monsanto being one of them, who control about 60% of the multi-billion dollar seed industry. Now, this could include packets of seed that you pick up for your home garden in a big box store, but they certainly include the vast majority of our commodity crop seeds. So think sunflower oil, think canola and corn oil and animal forage food stuff. Think soy and all of the byproducts from soy. And then think of all the millions of acres of certainly the United States, if not North America writ large, that are planted out in these seeds, which are often pre-prepared to be, quote unquote, roundup ready, meaning they are genetically modified to be able to withstand an application of roundup when they are planted out in the field so that the roundup will not kill this plant and its seed food, but will kill all the weeds around it. That is just one of the many chemical applications that many of these commodity seed crops are covered with. The next part of that cocktail are the neonicotinoids that seeds are coated or soaked in in order to allow them resistance to insect, fungal attack. But these neonicotinoids, which are endocrine disruptors, insect life, are turning out, despite uh, lots of reassurance from the EPA that they are not that bad, they are turning out, especially when they are combined and aggregated over time in a place to be killing our soil, harming our surface water and groundwater after that, and also badly damaging the lives of the insects that we rely on as pollinators in our world. So that's one cultural worldview in which we have so controlled and over-engineered our control of these plants in order to have them serve us or, they, you know, at least serve the profits of the people who are earning those profits off of these crops. And then you see this other cultural worldview that is very much in strong representation in our world right now in smaller areas by smaller groups of people, but still put them all together. And they are a small, still, but mighty force. And these are cultural seed keepers uh, of indigenous cultures across North America. They are seed keepers of the African diaspora, the Asian diaspora, and lots of small diversified family farms across the U.S. really working to try and protect and support the integrity and the natural processes of seed with soil, with clean air, with clean water, producing clean food that is then 
able to be shared and saved to keep passing on time immemorial. Those are the two cultural worldviews that I'm really kind of trying to explain so that readers can then say to themselves, as I said to myself, which worldview do I want to put my energy, my dollars, and my heart behind? Absolutely brilliant. And we appreciate the thorough explanation here on uh, Talk of the Town here, Trent Nelson, here with Jennifer Jewell, podcast host, a gardener, garden writer, garden educator, and advocate at Wakate, as they would have said in a different language once upon a time. Now, <laughs> with that noted, I've done many an interview recently with individuals who have written books concerning the earth. And, mm. of course, invariably, they deal with humanity's influence upon the earth. And a thread that continues to crop up in these discussions has to be <laughs> the dualistic nature of man with nature. Mm. Alluded to in your language, subdue and subjugate instead of mm. function together and through cooperation. We have a very antagonistic look at the earth and, you know, these tricks of ours to create better probability for the growth of food. Everything has consequences. All of these things that we have innovated across hundreds of years, they have consequences and it's only when it's a little bit later that we determine that those are probably not fantastic. Yeah. So, as you noted just a moment ago, and I'd love to get back to this before we let you go, you are a very busy individual, a gardener, of course, writer, activist, all of that. Let's talk about these activists more. Let's talk about how they are working, whether it be indigenous groups or any other grassroots groups of, of people looking to protect these heirloom seeds, regenerate them, and allow for more people to experience them as uh, they were once able to. Right. Well, I think, you know, the beginning of that exploration, exploration comes back to something and, and how you phrased the got us into this question. I think it's important to note that not all humans across time and space have had this antagonistic relationship or this one of control and subdue the way that many of us who are European descent have had, that industrialized nations have taken this worldview to perhaps its nadir, let's not say apex, it's nadir of seeing all the other living lives on the planet other than human as inanimate objects to be used by us for our purposes. And in the, you know, capitalist, consumer-based, profit-driven world we do happen to live in, those systems that we live in, make sure that all of that subjugation comes with profit at the bottom line. But not everybody has always treated or seen the rest of the lives on the planet this way. And while we live in that bubble here in, you know, 2023 United States, not all of the groups who live in 2023 United States have seen the world this way. Land-based peoples who have been gardening the land around them, stewarding it, caring for it, living symbiotically with it, they would have dominated it to their own detriment. These kinds of cultures have seen the trees, the birds, the insects, the water, the air as other living entities who deserve respect and a place and the right to live out their natural processes. And so the objectifying and commodifying of these relationships has led us to the place we are now. These other cultural seed keepers are offering up an alternative vision of what it means to live in the world with the other creatures who make our world possible. I mean, in the book, I point out that if we see 
our planet as being controlled by four primary elements, earth, air, fire, and water. Without the introduction of the seeds and the seed-bearing plants that now feed, clothe, house, and sustain us, without the introduction of the seeds, earth, air, fire, and water do not equal a livable planet. They equal a planet prior to plants and people being able to survive here. So getting ourselves back into touch with exactly what we find essential, which I think we're in this window of time where the COVID pandemic and even the social justice resets that we are still looking at, fighting out across our globe. These are giving us an opportunity to ask ourselves what is important and what is essential. And for me, it came down to changing my European descent worldview and trying to put my time and voice and energy behind one that is more respectful and truly sustainable for people and places. And we love it. When we spoke to Dr. Carl Safina, he very much echoed what you just said. He blamed Plato, and, and that's fine. We read Plato a bit a bit progressively here, but he, he deserves a bit of criticism once in a while. Now, we should do a good job, if we do care about the earth and the environment, of learning how, as you noted, others, other cultures across time and, and history have, as you noted, looked at existence, looked at those things around them. There were native tribes across the Americas that used to, if I remember properly, avoid making noise around trees that were just in bloom, as though they were newborns. And this sort of, as you said, sense of things being alive in the same sense that we are. I think a lot of it comes down to, in terms of, as you noted, that European mindset, things cannot be equal because should they be equal, our domination or subjugation of them could not be morally uh, reconciled, mm -hmm. right? So all things have yeah. to be less so that we can reconcile how we treat them. And yeah. so these are perhaps things that, of course, what we sow on the personal, ecological, and cultural significance of seeds alludes to in so many ways. And what fascinating reading when we got a chance to take a look at it. Jennifer Jewell, the host of the national award-winning weekly public radio program, Cultivating Place. It is so wonderful for you to have joined us today, and we are very thankful for it. Thank you for the conversation and the education. Oh, thank you very much for the opportunity. It's been a great pleasure to talk about these things with you. And we look forward to having you back sometime to discuss more about getting dirty and how great it can be for everyone. For everyone. Go get dirty. You, you heard it here first, folks. Jennifer Jewell says, go get dirty. Nature... We'll thank you for it. Talk of the town here, Trent Nelson. Get dirty in nature, folks. Talk of the town. This is Trent Nelson. Good morning, good morning, good morning. And what a wonderful morning it is to talk about, uh, well, really fascinating event going on this Saturday in your capital city of Springfield, Illinois. It is put on by the Illinois Poor People's Campaign and one of their tri-chairs for the Illinois version of this group is Carlos Rodriguez. He is a tri-chair member of the Illinois Poor People's Campaign. Good morning, sir. How are you today? Uh, good morning, Trent. I'm feeling very good and very, very hopeful that we've got a lot of work to do, and uh, it's great to be on your show this morning. Well, absolutely. We're thrilled to have you and thrilled to talk about the Illinois Poor People's Campaign. Uh, but this is, of course, as I alluded to before, not singularly Illinois. There are poor people's campaigns all across the 
the United States. Is that correct, sir? You got it. We're in 40 different states, and actually this Saturday we're actually doing simultaneous actions that we'll talk about later in 32 of our states. We're we're excited. We've been building for uh, more than five years now. Wow, that is that is really the prototypus of solidarity. 32 different simultaneous versions. And sir, for those of our audience who are not familiar, what is the Illinois Poor People's Campaign and what does it set out to accomplish? Yeah, those are great questions, Trent. So the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for more revival, is actually looking to amplify the struggles of poor and low-wealth people, okay? So Illinois is one of the states, like I said, that that has a Poor People's Campaign chapter. We actually have nearly 9,000 people in our uh, in our network here in Illinois. Um, so we believe that the political system we live under is failing people and blame low-income people for their lot in life, and we think that's absolutely wrong. Uh, the, the, the latest figures we have is 135 million poor and low-wealth people in the United States. And that's to us, that's unacceptable, and we consider that policy murder. The last statistics also say that poverty is the number four killer of people in the United States, and we have a very wealthy country and that should not happen. Does that help, Trent? <laughs> that it was a fantastic explanation, sir. And certainly we appreciate that it is both a moral quandary as well as, you noted, an economic quandary. We succeed as a society, as a civilization in general, when we cooperate with one another, when we ensure that each has what each needs. And there are economic negatives that come from not ensuring that. We lose oh. we lose so much from one another. We lose so much potential from those who do not have the resources that we have. It is a shame from so many perspectives and standpoints. And so let's talk yeah. a bit about what tomorrow, what this Illinois Poor People's Campaign gathering in Springfield, as well as in the other myriad states that you noted, what is going to go down at this event? That's a great question. I, I, I have to step back and say one thing. I want to amplify what you said earlier, Trent. You know, when there are people that are living in poverty, it impacts all of us, whether you're employed or not employed, right? I mean, if there's something that I've learned as a father, and my son is, uh, is an adult now, is that when one of the students at his school was suffering, we all suffered, and we all recognize that uh, what impacts one impacts all of us. I'm really glad that you said that. Actually, my grandfather told me a proverb in Spanish when I was growing up. He said, cuando brilla el sol brilla para todos. That means when the sun shines, it shines for everybody. And, and so we want to we wanna make sure that's clear. So yeah, so this Saturday, March the 2nd, you know, poor and low-income people, low-wage workers, clergy members, faith leaders, activists, advocates, people from all walks of life all across the nation are doing these simultaneously simultaneous state house assemblies. Uh, we're crying out to all to fight poverty and not the poor, right? So we're going to have a variety of speakers in Springfield that are going to amplify the struggles of the poor and low wealth. Um, we basically are saying this is just one day of action, okay? And so March 2nd is really a reaffirmation of our ongoing movement building work to shift the political narrative and uh, build power among the poor and dispossessed. So we're excited that we always have poor and low wealth people speak at our events. 
we do not allow elected officials. That doesn't mean they can't attend, but we think that they should have a voice, and that's why we're doing the assembly. I'd like that. When the sun shines, it shines for everybody, and this is true words have not ever been stated. I suspect, and, and we certainly appreciate that wisdom from your grandfather. Um, and certainly your explanation concerning the Illinois Poor People's Campaign furthers uh, our understanding of exactly what you uh, deem necessary to do and why you deem necessary to do it. Of course, elected officials often have platforms that people are listening to them on, and certainly poor folks historically do not. So, uh, again, right, right. Uh, allowing those voices to be elevated to yeah. uh, to understand their plight, to yeah, listen to yeah. them and their stories and not try to maneuver it ourselves. That is not necessary. We need to listen instead of speak as often as we sometimes do. So- what a great point. What a great point, Trent. Yeah, think about it, Trent. This, if you think about what an important moment we are living in in the history of the United States, 2024, we see... Enormous attacks against voting rights. When Dr. King first started the Poor People's Campaign back in 1967, there were 30 million poor and low wealth people. You know, I I think he would have been stunned, although not surprised at how many years are we looking at? A little about 60 years later, that's that's more than tripled. It's quadrupled the amount of poor and low wealth people. So we're we're launching this 40 weeks of mobilizing and organizing and registering and educating uh, poor and low income people. We want this movement to vote, right? So we say all the time, everybody in, nobody out. And we feel strongly that, that we can get legislation to meet the needs of the millions. Absolutely. It is not that the masses do not have the numbers. It is simply that they often do not have the collective volition, right? Um, and, exactly. And, and Great. So- well put. Appreciate you. So it is important that uh, groups and and folks are coming together to ensure that uh, that that is in fact a reality. But, sir, give us before we let you go. We really appreciate you spending some time with us today, Mr. Carlos Rodriguez. He's a tri chair member of the Illinois Poor People's Campaign. We're talking about the March 2nd event in Springfield. Would you give our listeners a website a, where they can find more information if they want to participate, not only uh, March 2nd, but beyond that? And and please give them the hours one more time for what's going on this Saturday. Yeah, so on Saturday, we are going to convene at 11 a.m., and we are going to march uh to the Capitol to actually the Lincoln statue in Springfield. You'll hear speakers and musicians. We want to have an hour and a half total. So it'll be from 11 to 1230. And uh, we really we would love you guys to show up. You can go to www.poorpeoplescampaign.org. It's a very simple thing. You could, you could just Google Poor People's Campaign and immediately it'll show up. We have great, uh, we have a great website. It has all the facts and figures of all of the states that are involved in the Poor People's Campaign. So, for example, if you clicked on Illinois, you'd see that over one-third of the people that live in Illinois are poor and low wealth. And it breaks it down into different categories and the and some of the things, not only that our legislators actually done well, but also some of the things that we are challenging them to work on. We always, we can remark on the successes without becoming complacent. We appreciate the constant push. I believe it was Wendell Phillips, that great American who once said that we must ask for the entire loaf to get the half loaf. 
So, uh, oh my gosh, great, great abolitionist, and actually, our state had uh, one of the more dramatic abolitionists too, uh, and uh, not not too far from Springfield. If you remember, let me see if I can challenge you about. Do you remember Elijah Lovejoy? We 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 do we do know about Elijah Lovejoy. Yes, <laughs> and, and we love a good challenge. We love a good conversation. And Carl- yeah, let's 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 abolish let's abolish poverty. How about if we, if we how about if we say that that's Let, the modern day abolitionist? Let's abolish poverty. Well, you know it's interesting because Wendell Phillips, uh, as we just alluded to, he not only was an abolitionist of slavery, but he also was very frustrated with what he called wage slavery. So um, this does tie in exactly and explicitly to what we are discussing here. Carlos Rodriguez, he's a tri-chair member of the Illinois Poor People's Campaign, and we've just really loved chatting with him this morning. Sir, will you come back and do her all again sometime soon? Oh, absolutely, Trent. I appreciate that. I, I love the way you framed this discussion. I think that, you know, these are becoming dogmas of the past that are too old that we need to shuck off, you know, wage, slavery, poverty. These are things that that we can solve. We have the ability and technology to solve them. And uh, I would love to come back on your show. I appreciate you having the uh, Poor People's Campaign on this morning. We appreciate you, sir. We appreciate your bright passion, as well as those words of your grandfathers. We will remember them moving forward. And again, we do look forward to having you back on here on Talk of the Town with Trent Nelson. Sir, have a great day. You do. You do the same. Forward together, not one step back. Forward together, not one step back. Talk of the town, Trent Nelson. Go out and see what's happening with the Illinois Poor People's Campaign. See how you can get involved and see how you can make a positive difference. When we make a positive difference for our community, we, of course, make a positive difference for ourselves. Thanks for listening to Talk of the Town. We'll be back next Sunday morning. Talk of the Town is a public service of Midwest Family Springfield. If you have any questions about today's program or previous programs, contact the show at MidwestFamilySPI.com slash Talk of the Town or call Midwest Family Springfield at 217-629-7077.